Hey everybody, welcome to this week's Intelligent Property Investor Masterclass. Well, I've got a big lineup for you this week. Just as a little bit of an introduction for you hearing me for the first time, um, I do these Intelligent Property Investor Masterclasses to make you more intelligent as a property investor. Because the more intelligent you are, the more intelligent decisions you make, and therefore the better results you're actually going to get. Now, just a quick reminder that I push this out through the podcasts on uh, iTunes and on uh, Spotify. So if you're listening to that, just understand that you will get a better experience if you jump across to my website, which is iloverealestate.tv, and you can see all of my charts and all of my information and all of the stuff that I put together for you every week. I do these every week for you guys. So I, I hope you're enjoying them. I'm getting lots and lots of great comments coming through, which is fantastic. Keep them coming. Um, and uh, of course, I put them out on my YouTube channel and on my website, which is again, iloverealestate.tv. And if you go into iloverealestate.tv, you can actually subscribe to them so they come out to you automatically. Um, and of course, they go onto Facebook as well. So welcome to everybody, wherever you are in whatever media world. <laughs> All right, so what are we covering this week? What's happened this week and what's worthy of a little bit of discussion? Well, the first thing is we're going to be discovering why the big banks think this is the most exciting economy in over a decade. Now, that's pretty cool from a bank, considering that they're pretty hard to get excited. We're going to talk about how women are triumphing over the uh, pink recession that we've had, and I'll explain what that means in a bit. We're going to be looking at why the regional property markets are leaving the capital cities for dead right now from a growth perspective, and how the central bank's cash splash is breaking records that have stood for over 300 years. My goodness. All right. So let's get into the masterclass. Let's talk about the banks. Now, it's very easy to bash the banks. I mean, it's something that, uh, you know, we've been doing for, for decades, as far as I can remember anyway. But the reality is that they do give us a little bit of a good gauge on what's happening on the economy. And at the moment, even the banks are confident. Now, they're pretty hard to get excited. They're pretty hard to get confident. But by gee, they are right now with where the market's at and what's happening. So let's have a look at what the charts have been saying for us this week. Here's the first chart, as you can see. Now, this is Westpac, just to, to pick one of, of the numbers that have come out during the week. Uh, but this is Westpac, and, um, and we're looking at... Um, you know, the lending and how the the lending has really, really picked up in, in recent times. Um, you can see here this massive, massive surge uh, in lending. Now, partly, I'm just going to explain this. I know that I've done this in previous weeks, but I think it's really super important that you understand why this is happening. It's partly due to the stimulus. Now, the stimulus that came out was the Home Builders Grant, which uh, was $25,000 up to the end of December, dropped out of 15 to the end of March. And you've now been extended to 18 months before you can actually st uh, start the, the building. But you did have to sign the contracts prior to those dates. So that will play out over the next few years. So this extension of lending is going to continue because typically when you build a new home, you might borrow to buy the land, but then you need to borrow in order to build. And you typically get, without mortgage insurance, you're typically getting somewhere around the 80% um, the lend. Over 80%, you'll be into mortgage insurance lending. 
So this is a this is a great chart that really shows the dip down that we saw there through um, through GFC. But what is important, not GFC, goodness me, um, COVID. GFC is back over here. I, I, I read it and then said the wrong thing. Um, but you can see here this, this reduction in lending that we've seen between uh, 2017 down to obviously the depths of COVID. Now, the start of that prior to COVID was, of course, all due to the restriction of lending by APRA, the, uh, the govern governing body that controls the banks. They recognised they went too far. They recognised they hit the banks too hard. So they had to, to basically get down on bended knee to get them to re-lend once the Royal Commission was over. Now, what we're seeing, of course, is then we had COVID, so a massive drop due through COVID. But look at the rebound. I mean, the rebound has been massive. And... This really speaks to a number of things. <coughs> First of all, it speaks to um, the the fact that we've been cloistered for so long, not being able to borrow or very hard to get loans, really, since 2017. Um, and that's now starting to change. Money is starting to get easier to borrow. That was partly also due to the last October when the government came out and said that uh, they they are going to scrap the uh, the restrictions on having to fit a certain model and and uh, you know what the expenditures were and a whole lot of other things came out in that particular report. But anyway, that released a lot of the, the the lending. But the second thing is that what it shows is we have really had pent up demand since 2017. Because if you think about if you know demand's ticking along, ticking along, we want to buy properties, we want to buy properties, but we can't because we can't borrow. What that means is that, you know, borrowing's coming down and down. And then all through COVID, goodness knows, you know, we all thought what's going to happen. So um, we've had all of that pent up demand for really three years. And it's only now just starting to, um, you know, to, to come through and be released into the market. And we're starting to absorb a lot of that pent-up demand. And that's what's showing here in this lending chart that, you know, the, the loans are definitely going out the door. Then we have uh, the, you know, we've reached a, a new record high here in business confidence. Now, this is good not just for the consumer that wants to go and buy a house or build a home or any of those things, but it's very, very good for the economy at large because when business confidence is high, uh, what we have is them creating more jobs, they're investing in their businesses, they're buying more equipment, you know, the money's going round in the economy and consequently the whole economy benefits when we have good business confidence. And this business confidence is showing right through from, you know, smaller businesses right up to, to very large businesses are very, very confident. The other thing that's really buoying, and I've got this a little bit later, it, the confidence in the business sector at the top end is the commodity prices because, and I'll explain how that worked with China and the embargoes and everything else that they, they put us through, um, but commodity prices have gone up. Now, that's been a great thing for our mining sector, but I'll get to that in a bit. Uh, so looking forward, you know, the other thing that's happening in, from the banking sector is that their balance sheets are full. They're flush with money. So they've got plenty of money to lend out. Interest rates are very, very low. So that's buoying the, um, the business confidence as well. So the balance sheets are looking very, very good moving forward. Um, you know, capital expenditure is up 
which is a great thing as well. So again, as I said about when business confidence is is high, they they spend money, they buy you know more cars for their fleet, they buy more machinery to do manufacturing, they buy more tractors in the farming industry, all of those things, and that creates more money, more sales, more commissions. So those people have got more money to go into things, you know, buy more bread, buy more whatever, take more holidays, all that. So and the money goes round and round the economy, which is a great thing from an economics perspective. All right, let's move on. So this is, I've got a couple of quotes here that have come out during the week which I thought were, were worth noting. First of all, this one is from the CEO of ANZ, um, Elliot, and he says, as we sit before you today, we are facing the most positive economic conditions that we have seen in the six years this committee has been inquiring into the major banks. So he's actually making a statement to, um, you know, to, to the inquiry. While many are doing it tough, including CBD businesses, so there's a recognition of that, Australia is emerging from one of the hardest periods quicker and stronger than many expected. Now, that is pretty strong words from a very conservative bank CEO. Listen to the next one. This is from, uh, from NAB. So this is uh, McEwen. He says, uh, NAB Chief Executive Rostner told MPs at the House of Representatives Standing Committee public hearing into the banks on Friday that while he strongly supported first home buyer incentives, the lack of new homes was an unsolved problem for housing affordability. This now... This, uh, this um, we know, supply is restricted and the states need to streamline approval processes for the land development and residential construction. Without decisive moves in, uh, to increase housing supply, demand-side incentives will inevitably act to push up house prices further and faster. Now, this really hits to the core of what's going on. Councils are backward cesspits, as far as I'm concerned, by and large. They are very slow to respond. They are very expensive. They are very much tick-the-box, red-tape bullshit that goes on. I mean, I could tell you so many stories about ridiculous things that are going on from council to council that are stopping a, particularly a lot of the small developers. So small to medium developers, the ones that are getting hurt the most. They're restricting land developments, all of these sorts of things, but we need the housing. So if we were allowed to, to develop more, we're allowed to get out there and build more properties, we wouldn't have as much pressure on house prices because supply is the issue. We don't have enough supply. The big boys are a different story because the big boys have the money to take council to task and take them to court, and they do, over and over and over again. So the, the council is a little bit scared of the big boys, I might add, as well, um, because of the lawsuit happiness that they, they seem to have, litigation happy. But it's the small and medium ones that are actually really, really finding it tough. And that needs to change because we need to have more relaxation around development, um, around granny flats, around dual living, around, you know, uh, even rooming houses and boarding houses for low cost affordability. Lots and lots of improvements need to be made. But I'm just on my soapbox now, so I'll get off. The reality is supply is short. 
um, and that is pushing up demand. So even though the banks are prepared to lend, um, the uh, the supply chain is very, very short. The incentives into uh, the home construction particularly have been great and the first home buyers' grants have all been great, but um, unfortunately they, we just simply don't have enough supply and that is forcing pricing up as well. Let's have a look at the jobs figures that have come out for the March data. All right. As you can see, um, that's the percentage employment change. So we're, again, we've made ground from an employment perspective. We've got better through March. More jobs were created than previously. I think this chart is a little bit better because what it shows is the drop in unemployment. And, you know, we're now down into, I think it's 5.6 or 5.5 something um, is our unemployment rate. I remember a time when unemployment, if we got into the fives, oh, my God, we were doing so well. Well, uh, given the, the, the recovery and the backlash we've had from COVID, this is exceptional that we are down into the fives from an unemployment perspective. And that really shows out in this next chart because what I show here is the other major recessions that we have had in the last hundred odd years and what has happened um, to unemployment. Now, I'm going to put this on the big screen so you're going to just have to follow me with my words. We'll start with the yellow one. So this was the uh, recession in the early 90s. That, that is how long it took to get unemployment back to where they were pre that recession we all had to have that Keating so famously talked about. Uh, the recession in the early 80s was, again, um, you know, it was coming off the, a very bullish time in the, the latter part of the 70s. And again, you can see just how long it took um, you know, these are in months. So about 100 months it took to get unemployment back down to manageable levels. The orange one over there is GFC. So that was 2008 through 2010, 12, 10, 11. Um, and it really didn't get back to where it was before that. But look at COVID. Look at COVID. You know, we are, we are doing so well with respect to, to getting our, our unemployment rates down. And from a time perspective, it's not even 12 months. So that's making a massive, massive difference right across the board. And the thing is, the girls are crushing it. <laughs> the girls are well and truly crushing it because through COVID, and the, the, um, the red line here is the girls, they lost the jobs there most because a lot of them were employed in the tourism industry and in the hospitality industry and things like that. So a lot of those jobs got really, really hard, hard hit. But look at the recovery. And the fact is, this is from full-time employment as well. So the girls are actually now above where they were uh, pre-COVID. They're even doing better than the boys in that regard. Here's the next one. So this is full-time jobs. It's a slightly different. The other one was all the jobs. This one here is full-time jobs. And you can see again... Uh, a massive improvement there in full-time jobs for the girls. I thought it'd be not interesting just to throw in a couple of other charts here, one in particular, because what this shows is the number of women in Parliament across a number of countries. Now, just let me ask you a question. Have a think about this before I, I give you the answer. How do you think Australia ranks with respect to uh, representation of women in Parliament if you look at all the countries across the world? I can kind of hear you, you're probably going not very well. You'd be right. Let's have a think now about what country do you think or countries have the highest representation of women in parliament? What would you guess? Would you guess Scandinavian countries? 
would you guess um, probably New Zealand because the you know Prime Minister over there's you know, Jacinta Ardern she's doing pretty well. Um, but would you guess Germany with with um, uh, Merkel? Uh, Angela Merkel, um, would you guess, I don't know, what would you guess? They'd be the ones that would probably come to mind for me for women in parliament. Well, I nearly fell off my chair when I saw this next chart. Have a look at this. The top ranking country for wi most women in parliament is Rwanda, <laughs> followed by Cuba, followed by the United Arab Emirates, Emirates, I couldn't get my words out. That blew me away, considering a lot of things are going on over there. Uh, Nicaragua, and then of course New Zealand comes in fifth. Mexico, then Sweden. Just, I don't know where Australia sits, but I know it's below America. And America sits down here at 67. So we're not doing very well. I couldn't find where we sat on that chart, but I thought I'd put that up because it was a bit of fun to have a look at. But by and large, from a, um, you know, from a jobs perspective, we're doing really well. This chart shows it beautifully. You can see how, how we fell down dramatically through COVID, but look how quickly we're already back up there. So, um, you know, doing really well from that perspective. And that really flows on to the next one, which, of course, is consumer confidence. Because when you've got business confidence and there's more jobs being created and there's more money being spent, you know, people have got more security around their income and things like that, it gets back to that whole, you know, the business confidence booming, the, the consumer confidence booms, the money goes round, high, creates higher spending, which creates a higher growth, which creates higher confidence rises again, which creates higher asset prices which of course is property and shares. And that's what's playing out in our markets right now. So it's, it's performing to form, let's say. As you can see on this chart here, this is a consumer sentiment index. Um, and uh, it's been put out by the Westpac Economics. And you can see there again, massive surge back to lots and lots of confidence, um, as much as we had back in about you know 2006, really, which was right at the beginning of that boom that went through to 2000 and, uh, 2008. So lots and lots of confidence out there, and that's that's a good thing. This is an ANZ chart showing exactly the same thing. Um, and uh, consumer confidence is high, business confidence is high, banks want to lend. Uh, the only thing now is the property market, and of course we are experiencing massive increases in property for all of those reasons. All of those things keep pushing the property prices up. So uh, let's have a look at what that means from a property market perspective. So this is what's come out during the week. And I, I spoke about this last week, but it, it's really played out very strongly this week that returns on property are starting to go up, rents are starting to go up. And there's a lot of talk in some areas. It's not everywhere. Um, you know, inner city Melbourne, as an example, is overrun with apartments. Sydney, a little bit the same, not so much. Uh, but Brisbane, the same from an apartments perspective. But when you start looking at core housing, there is a massive shortage. There's also a massive shortage in some affordable areas when we start talking about, about rents. Rents have really started to go up. So you can see here um, in the month of March, March 21, we had a nearly 4% increase in rents. Now that's huge. That's huge when you start multiplying that out by the rents that are already being paid. You run that across the country, and again, we show here March 21, nationally 3.9%. Um, 
Northern Territory went down, but look at the uh, the regional areas. Look at this. I mean, regional WA has gone up 10.7. That's mainly on the back of the mining industry. South Australia, um, you know, it, it's a really strong return. And a lot of that, I think, is because Adelaide has already had a decent run, so the rest of the, the state is picking up there. It, it's 7.8%. Regional Queensland, 9.5%. And again, that's... Partly, not in, not entirely, not like WA, due to a little bit of mining influence there. Regional Victoria is up at 6.1 and regional New South Wales is up at 8.3. So massive. But the capital cities aren't doing too badly either as far as yield is concerned. Um, Canberra 5.1, Darwin 16.5. <gasps> My goodness. Uh, Hobart 3.8, Perth 14.2. Very similar, but you've got to take those two into into a um, you know with a little bit of relativity because both those two cities have been down in the dumps for a long time, like I'm talking years. So they've got a lot of catching up to do, and that's what we're seeing now. Uh, that will also correspond into the house prices that they've got catching up to do there as well. Because when yield goes up, people start to jump into the, uh, you know, into the markets that have got the higher yield. And in this case, it's property. So th that's even going to add more demand, which uh, creates more uh, increase in pricing. Adelaide running at uh, 4.9, Brisbane at 4.2. Adelaide and Brisbane have been pretty consistent though for some time because they really didn't have the fallout in pricing through COVID that places like Melbourne, particularly with their second lockdown, but also Sydney, um, you know, that they went down a lot more than we, st we saw in Brisbane and Adelaide. Adelaide, I don't think it went down at all. Um, and Brisbane really trucked along, particularly if you take out the unit market in Brisbane, a bit oversupply in units in Brisbane. Um, and then you have Melbourne. Well, Melbourne's still down, uh, minus three in case, and Sydney, 0.2. Because, now, the thing that's pulling those figures down is the oversupply in units. If you took units out of these pictures, it would look a lot better. The, the rents would have gone up a lot more because it's housing that's in demand, not so much the units. So as you can see on the right-hand side, this is just units. And the ones to really look at here are the Sydney and the Melbourne markets and how they're the markets that are oversupplied in the unit market. They're the ones that are suffering the most and consequently their, you know, their yields are still down and therefore their pricing is still down as well. On the right hand, I'm sorry, on the left hand side, you've got Darwin and Perth off the charts, but they've got a lot of catching up to do, like I said before. They're the ones that really, you know, are, are playing a big catch up on years and years of uh, low pricing. Melbourne is still the trailer here, um, hasn't really had that turnaround yet, even in the housing market, but Sydney certainly has. Sydney has certainly started to, to turn that around and bring it up to, uh, you know, pricing where uh, it's going to start to soar. Sydney is really running at about a uh, about a six-month lag to Auckland, and Auckland is already seeing massive double-digit growths right now. So we believe that uh, Sydney's going to uh, to take that on board and uh, and follow suit. It's about six months six months delay. Melbourne will also follow suit, but it's going to take a little longer. Uh, the, when we start to have that, just start shows the, exactly the same thing. You start to see how the across uh, the board is the turnaround is there. It's happening as we speak. This is an interesting article. It was put out in the Australian Financial Review by the, and it was an article about the Reserve Bank of Australia. Now, the Reserve Bank of Australia is, by its very nature, conservative. So anything it says, you really kind of think, okay, we'll really need to, to heed that a little bit. 
the RBA house price model predicts that tw- there's going to be a 25% increase in house prices by 2023. Now, that is off the charts incredible because if the Reserve Bank is saying that, it's probably going to be higher than that. Now, this is, this is why, I'm, I'm, it's why I do these, these weekly updates for you for starters, but it's also why I really, really super encourage you to get yourself some education and to start investing wisely to a strategic plan because not all properties are going to go up. It's not just a difference between property units and, and housing. No, no, no. It's much more than that. I mean, there's a there's a, a strategy that I teach my students. It's called grid variance analysis, and um, it's a process of predicting where you are going to make the most money out of manufactured growth. So it actually tells you where to invest if you use it correctly, and if you implement it correctly. Then I give you a feasibility study program, which says you what property is going to make you the most money and what. Um, you know, what strategy is going to make you the most money. So it's a very technical um, approach to property investing. It's not difficult, but it's very, very important that you work to a plan from where you're at to where you want to go. So what I've actually done in this regard, I'm going to give you a free consultation. Now, this is something I normally don't do, but I've set aside some of my advisors uh, 60-minute appointments, I'm calling them the breakthrough sessions, where you can have a free consultation and talk about where you are, where you want to go, and how we can actually help you in that endeavour. Now, just something I want to make very, very clear, I don't sell properties. I think it is fundamentally wrong for me to teach you how to do something and then go, oh, look, just buy one of mine. That you know, People who do that are typically charging you forty dollars to $80,000 over market value of those properties. I will not do that. But we will show you what strategies are put into place to actually move forward. So make sure that you, if you want to take advantage of those breakthrough sessions, they're 60 minutes, they're free with one of my advisors, but there's only a limited number of them. So if you lock in an appointment, make sure that you write it in your diary and you turn up on time. Because if otherwise, you know, you're wasting my time, you're wasting my advisor's time and you're wasting your time. So make sure that you, you know, you turn up on those and make them work for you. This, this, this next period of time that we're coming into is, is going to be massive. You have the potential, as I said, to replace your income and get debt free over these next few years if you work strategically through this period of time. It's not just going to be on your home. It's not just going to be maybe on an investment property. Not all properties are going to do this. We need to make sure that you are in the best position you can be uh, given your starting circumstances and where you want to go. So those appointments are there. Um, all the details are here. If you're watching it on Facebook, they're down the bottom. If you're listening to it on um, on Spotify or on iTunes, again, the details are there in the comments. You can book in one of those appointments. It's iloveRealEstate.tv forward slash questions forward slash. So you've got the the thing there. You can just jump on and, and do that. This chart here shows that uh, clearance rates are definitely on the way up. Now, when we have high clearance rates, what it means is that more properties are selling quicker. They're selling at auctions. And a clearance rate is, is calculated by what sells on the day plus the next 14 days. And that's considered part of the clearance rate. So clearance rates are definitely up, which means the market is hotting up. Uh, and it's only going to get hotter, which is why there is an amount of urgency to what your decisions are right now. 
Now, the commodity markets, all right. Now, when we talk commodity, we're talking things like corn and coffee and soybeans and gold and silver and oil and all of these sorts of things. Why is that important? It's important because this is the big end of town. This is the big boys. Now, if commodity prices are going up, they're making more money, they're putting on more people, they're putting money into capital expansion and all of those things, so there's more money going round and round in the economy. We can invest in those companies, they'll go up in value and we get more dividends and all of that kind of stuff. So it's, it's a good thing. Commodity prices are definitely going up. This is iron ore. Now, iron ore um, is not one of the products that has been um, affected by the Chinese sanctions that have put on trade with Australia. And we've talked about the the trade war in, in past sessions. But uh, we can see here back in about August is where those, those sanctions started to go in. But what it has meant is even in iron ore, um, the commodity prices have really been pushed up. So when you've got pricing going up this kind of, you can see in the chart there how much it's gone up, you know, three times practically, um, in, you know, in size in the charts, it's not quite that. What you're seeing there is um, everything is more profitable, therefore there's going to be more and more um, generation of profits here in Australia. And we are very heavily commodity-oriented. This is the coal. Now, this is thermal coal. It's not coking coal, it's thermal coal. But even the, the thermal coal pricing has gone up. So this is the coal used to generate electricity. And I know there's a lot of talk, particularly this week, about um, climate change and, um, you know, the... the, the countries meeting and how they're going to cut their targets and or get rid of coal-fired power stations, all the rest of it. Mind you, places like India are going out and, you know, building another 50 this year. So uh, there's a lot of decommissioning going on in, in more uh, developed countries, but it's not going to make a, a splatter of a difference in a lot of the underprivileged countries or the developing countries, let's say. So the commodity pricing, again, has gone up substantially there, massive increase. And this is one of the products that has been sanctioned by, uh, by China. Now, it's kind of hit China in, you know, it, you know, they cut off their nose despite their face in a lot of instances because we are a, the major supplier to China or have been the major supplier to China in these raw materials. So when they decide, nope, we're not going to buy any more of your coal, we're going to make you hurt. What it meant is that, and they couldn't afford to do that in, in iron ore, I might add, but anyway, um, what it's meant is that whoever they're buying their coal from now, they've actually had to pay more in order to get the sale, to get the, the, the purchase. Those countries then are, that were previously selling to other countries, they can come into Australia and the price has been ratcheted up. So it's really kind of kicked them in the foot in, in a lot of instances, but it's a good thing for Australia. Um, it's, it's creating another mining boom. And that's really what's showing out in those regional house prices that we're seeing, particularly for WA. And then when you look at the world, I mean, there's been this massive cash splash across the world in the world currencies. So let's me just, just talk about what that means. Every Western country, every developing country, every country pretty much, not so much China, but the rest of them, have been printing money like it's going out of fashion. China has been too, I might add. So just say every country has been printing money. So when every country prints money, there's kind of this, this reset of the economies. There's a fiscal reset happening globally. We are placed very well in that here in Australia because our percentage of printing money compared to our GDP, so how much we're printing compared to our size, is much, much lower than other countries like 
America and England and most of the European countries. Compared to their size, they're printing much, much more than we are. The other thing to take into account here is that we entered COVID with very low debt levels compared to other countries around the world. So we can actually afford to take on more debt and, uh, and print more money. Now, you know, printing money is basically the government issues a bond, central banks buy it, uh, the RBAs, for instance, buy it. That creates more money to go out into the economy, so they've got more money to spend. It's, it's just a resetting of the global monetary supply. Now, what that means is when the whole country, the whole world is doing this, there's a reshuffling of rankings, Who's got what money and what, 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 you know, how do they fit in the rankings? Who printed more and therefore their currencies are devalued compared to ours? And there's this whole reshuffling going on. And because of our low debt level going in and because of our um, high resource sector and the commodity prices going up and because of the, uh, you know, the, the fact that we aren't printing as much in our currency as other countries are compared to their size, what that means is our our ranking, if you like, in the world stage has gone up a few points. Now, we're never going to be at the top and we're never going to be at the bottom unless something dramatic really happens. But our we've shuffled up a number of places in our ranking on the world stage. We are considered to be very, very safe. And even the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, puts us as one of the countries that will recover the best out of COVID and we already are. This is America. Um, America's just had a big cash splash. Uh, they've printed a whole lot of money over there. And uh, again, you, you've seen, well, how did they spend it? Uh, probably unfortunately for the government, they a lot of it was saved. 42% of the cash splash was actually saved, which means that the economy probably didn't need it. Um, it you know, was needed more last year, but we had elections and other things going on over there. So it was needed more last year to, uh, to really buoy the economy. Um, most of it was saved now because most people kind of recovered from it, etc. 34% was used to pay down debt. So the majority was put into wealth. Only 25% was actually used to, uh, to spend. And what a government wants is if it gives out money, it wants it to be spent. So those people get more money, the more money, more money, and it creates more jobs and growth within the economy. That didn't happen. Most of it went into consumer wealth in one way or another. Um, when you have a look at the debt level in America, it's as high now as it was for World War II. So, you know, this, this huge uh, debt level compared to their size, just the volume of printing money that they're doing right now compared to any other time in history is massive. You can see over here, um, you know, the, as a percentage of GDP, you know, World War I, World War II, um, and you know, even the Civil War back in the 1800s, where they are now is equivalent to World War II. So, um, you know, that the Federal Reserve and the American dollar is the, is the world currency. It's what most of the, you know, the, the benchmark that most people work off. Uh, and because of that, it'll never, you know, it's, it's not something that's going to, you know, plummet down to, you know, $4 Australian to the American currency or anything like that. But um, it, you, we will see some reshuffling around that as well. This is actually, uh, again, showing the, um, the Federal Reserve assets and they're flush with money. All this printing of money has increased the balance sheet of the Federal Reserve as well. 
um, and that, you know that that's playing out in the in the economy. This is the UK chart, um, and in this chart here, as you can see, we've gone back to the 1700s, and again, you can see just how much the UK is printing in money compared to any other time in history. This bump here is World War Two. Um, that was back in the 1700s. I don't remember what was going on back then. I have to look at my my uh, history books to find out, but it, you know, it's nothing compared to what was what's happening here with COVID, and they they they're doing it tough. They're doing it really, really tough. So, um, you know, this is there's 300 years there of uh, this is a record, and it's not just a small record. We didn't just they didn't just beat it by a little bit. They beat it by a lot, um, nearly nearly double if you look at that chart. So this whole world shuffling of money is happening right around the world, and I guess the big takeaway there is we are very well placed as part of that. Okay. So a bit of a recap, where have we gone? Uh, the big banks are excited, which is pretty cool because most banks get pretty hard to be excited. Um, women jobs are uh, on the up uptake, so uh, we've got more women uh, getting back into the workforce than we had pre-COVID and on full-time basis, not just part-time. The regionals are doing very well. There's a strong rebound happening in the regional areas as well as the capitals, but right now the regionals are really taking off. And this cash splash has created this reshuffling of, um, of currencies right around the world, which again is favouring Australia. So just to finish off, I thought I would share with you a book I'm reading this week, which I thought it'd be fun to have a look at, and I might do this on a regular basis. I try and read a book a week just to uh, you know, keep my knowledge base going on a broad, broad basis of things. This one was called The Age of Recovery by Ian Golden and Chris Katana. Now, um, it's all about it's a great time to be alive and how over history things have, have changed and, and how you know, the death toll's gone down and all of these things when we look at what we were previously as a percentage of size. So it's a great time to be alive. Um, life expectancy has risen more in the past 50 years than in the past 1,000 years before that. Uh, you know, we are living longer and somebody born today we'll have a very good chance of seeing in the 2022nd century. That's pretty cool, isn't it? The likelihood of dying from a violent death has never been lower. I'll just tell you a little story. I was um, uh, tripping around Europe a number of years ago and uh, you know, we're doing the tourist thing. We went to all the castles and whatever. And there's one particular castle we went into, which was in the south of France. And um, it, it was back in the 1400s or something, 1200s. I can't really remember now. The, you know, the tribes back then, one was trying to raid the other and take over the castle, all this kind of stuff, the kingdoms. Anyway, there was something like 14,000 soldiers that attacked the castle. And, you know, the castle had all of their, their turrets and their, their cannons and whatever else. Anyway, they won. The castle won. And to deter people from actually attacking the castle, they hung, ugh, this was revolting, these 14,000 dead bodies around the, the walls of the castle to warn everybody that the castle was impenetrable and if you came and attacked the castle, this was what was going to happen to you. So really gory stuff. But, you know, you look back in our history and we've had huge periods of time of massive violence and violent deaths and all of these things. And you look at our society today and, you know, we really are pretty cruisy, even with the death tolls that we've got around the world that we we're seeing right now, particularly in the developed countries. 
Um, we're better educated and you can, you know, you can get everything at your fingertips. I mean, you, you know, you want to find out about anything about, you know, how to raise bees or how to propagate flowers or how, when to grow what vegetable, whatever you want to know, it's there at your fingertips. If you wanted to know that back when I'm going to show my age now. Um, back when I was even in school, we had encyclopedias. You had to go and go to the library if you didn't have one at home. And if you had one at home, they're probably 10 or 15 years old and the information was old. And you go and look it up and all the rest. The, the transfer of information was so slow. The progress was slow. I mean, the speed with which we are progressing right now technologically is incredible. And that's really the internet played a big part of that. Childhood mentality has plummeted and 40 years ago in 1981 um, almost half of the people in the developing world lived below the poverty line that figure today has dropped to less than 10 percent isn't that incredible less than 10 percent so it really is a great time to be alive however I must take into account the fact that we as people are generally negative. We think things are worse than they were or have been or will be into the future. So we have a look at this. Now, this is a chart of um, uh, the countries and there's a massive survey that was done across a whole bunch of countries about whether people were better off today than they were 50 years ago. Vietnam has come up and said they are much better today than they were 50 years ago. Well, we had the whole Vietnam War and everything else going on. 88% said they were better off. Only 4% said they were worse off. Uh, then you had India, and you can follow the figures here. India, mostly you know, 69, 68 for Korea, 65% in J Japan, 65% for Germany, 65% for, uh, what's that one there, Turkey, 64% for the Netherlands, Netherlands, uh, Sweden the same, Poland 62% think they're better off, Spain 60%, Canada 55%, Israel's 52%, we're getting there, 51% uh, for Indonesia, 50% for Russia and 50% for Australia. Even 33% still think they were better off 50 years ago than they were today because of our ageing population. But anyway, and then it goes down. You can see the rest of them there. I won't go through them. The one that's the, the, the bottom here is actually Venezuela, followed very closely by Mexico, Jordan and Argentina. 72% um, of people in Venezuela believe that they are worse, uh, they, they were better off 50 years ago than they are today. Only 10% think they're better off. So, um, you know, the, we are living in, in massively exciting times. Things are changing so quickly. The market right now in these next few years is an era of time that's really super exciting in the property market here in Australia. And you've got to take advantage of it. And that's why I'm offering you these free breakthrough sessions. It's 60 minutes long. It's a decent amount of time to really discuss what, where you are, where you want to go and how we can help you actually get there. So it's iloverealestate.tv forward slash questions forward slash. There's a limited number of appointments. Um, so make sure you jump on and get them. You can see them on the Facebook comments or in the um, the comments in iTunes or in, um, uh, you can leave me comments there uh, in the um, oh. Spotify. <laughs> Not that you can leave the comments there, but you, it's iloverealestate.tv forward slash questions forward slash. So it's all up for you. They're there for you. My advisor's time is valuable. Make sure you pop it into the diary uh, and you, uh, you, know, you turn up on time. And they, I know these sessions are going to be very valuable for you to help you attain your goals and really power through this massive period of time.
So that's it for me from the Intelligent Property Investor um, Masterclass of the Week. I do hope you've enjoyed it. And I'll be back next week with some more very intelligent information for you. So get you through this time and really get out there and power and make some money. Bye for now. Catch you next week.